It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. So welcome to another Daily Thunder. We're here in Engedi, which is a little tiny oasis in the middle of the desert right next to the Dead Sea. So in this particular study, we're going to be diving into the story of David running from Saul and also talking about one of his psalms. Let's dive in. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Samuel 23 uh, is where we're at least going to be this morning. Uh, so we're in Engedi, right? So we are completely surrounded by desert except for this little tiny oasis. And it's interesting that, at least in terms of the Dead Sea stuff, this is one of my favorite places to be. And it's mainly because of the fact that there's such a, there's such a richness to this place in my mind. And as we get into this story, um, I've read this story so many times in scripture, and yet I've never seen it because I've never been here. And so what I wanna do is I wanna walk through uh, the whole Saul and David thing, and then talk about one of the Psalms that David wrote, which I think will make the Psalm so much richer, especially since we spent all day yesterday in the hot sun of the desert, and now we're here at the, at the oasis, and I think uh, it's just gonna come alive. So in 1 Samuel 23, we know that uh, David had been anointed king, uh, so he just killed Goliath back in chapter 17. He's been anointed, <clears throat> and now Saul's out to kill David. So again, I think there, if I remember correctly, there's 31 assassination attempts that Saul tries to make on David's life. And as he's running through, uh, we find in 1 Samuel 23, verse 14, that David remained in the wilderness and the strongholds and dwelled in the mountains of the wilderness as if Saul sought him Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So here is David. He's running from Saul. And it says that he found, finds himself in the wilderness as if. And it's interesting that as you continue on the story, that the Ziphonites, or whatever they've been called, they end up giving David away to Saul. So here they are, fellow Israelites, betraying David into the hands of Saul. Now, as you look at uh, verse 19 of chapter 23, it says, Then the Zephonites went up to Saul, to Gilbeah, saying, Is David not hiding himself with us in the strongholds uh, on the hill of Hilkiah, which is south of Jeshimon? Close. And so they say, hey, Saul, isn't David hiding over here? Why don't you come and come get him? Get, just get him out of our hair. Now, as you get to the very end of chapter 23, uh, David is running and he finds himself uh, running from Saul. Saul's chasing him and Saul gets a report that the Philistines have invaded the, you know, have, have encroached on the land. And so Saul goes back to push the Philistines back. Uh, so verse 27 says, but a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and go for the Philistines have invaded the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David, and he went against the Philistines. Therefore, they called the place the Rock of Escape. Now get verse 29. David then went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. And you'll notice as we were walking up, there's all these little caves. Uh, so it's interesting that Engedi is so full of caves. So here's David. He's hiding from Saul. Where is he hiding from Saul? Here. Well, why, why did he pick here? Well, it's interesting that Engedi is a part of the tribe of Judah. Uh, it's interesting that in the midst of a, a desert, a deserted place, right? That this is the this is the oasis. This is the place that has water. This is the place that has life. So it makes sense that if David has 600 people with him, that you need a place that has access to water. You need a place uh, of survival. Now look at verse, uh, sorry, chapter 24. 
Uh, 1 Samuel 24 says, When Saul had returned from following the Philistines, it was reported to him, saying, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats, which would be the ibex we just saw. Isn't this awesome? This is so fun. Uh, verse 3, he came to the sheep pens by the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the rear of the cave. Now I have no idea how big this cave was. But you realize the cave had to be big enough to hold 600 people. And it had to be quite, at least big enough and quiet enough that here is Saul. He goes in to use the restroom, which is awkward. But he goes in to use the restroom. And David can have a conversation with his men and Saul doesn't hear it. So it must be a massive cave. Okay. Uh, so it says, verse 4, that the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord has said to you, I am giving your enemies into your hand. You may do with him as seems good in your eyes. Then David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now it's interesting that uh, in this culture, you realize that the, the, the hem of your robe is a symbol of two things. One, it's a symbol of authority. Uh, for example, uh, Ruth, when she goes to uh, goes to Boaz after the whole threshing floor thing, right? It says that she lays down and takes the hem of his robe and puts it over her while he was sleeping. And, and what is that a symbol of? It's, it's symbolic of the fact that, hey, I want to come under your authority. I want to place myself under you. Uh, here is this lady who is suffering with bleeding for countless years. And she sees Jesus in this huge crowd. And she thinks, well, hey, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, then I'll be made well. Why? Because she recognizes that the power and authority is in the hymn. Does that make sense? So it's interesting that David comes uh, to Saul and cuts off the, the side, the, the hymn, if you will, of his royal robe. Now, I also think it's fascinating that in the book of Micah, uh, that word for that, the corner of the robe is translated wing. And in Micah says uh, that, that the Messiah, the coming Messiah, there's going to be healing in his wings. And it's not like, you know, it's not like wings. It's, it's talking about a garment. So it's fascinating, again, that, that David is creeping up. He gets over to Saul where he's using the restroom, which, again, is incredibly awkward. But while, uh, while Saul's using the restroom, David takes a knife and cuts off the hem of his robe. Now, it says, <clears throat> afterward, David's heart troubled him because he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And you're like, well, why would that even bother you? So follow this on. Verse 6. David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So David dispersed his men by these words and did not let them rise against Saul. And Saul arose from the cave and went on his way. It's interesting that David is looking at this whole thing and he says, I am not going to... Now, David is anointed, right? He is the true and rightful king. But now there is an imposter sitting upon the throne. But David says, hey, he, he was anointed. And I am not going to take in my own authority, in my own position, in my own resource, the power and usurp that power to remove the Lord's anointed. That I'm only going to trust God in God's timing that if God anointed me, he can remove the, the previous anointed one. And David says, he looks at his men and says, hey, do not, hey, hey, just leave Saul alone. Now, Verse 8 says, David arose afterward and went out from the cave, and he called after Saul. So here's Saul. He's coming down out of the cave, right? David's on the kind of the, probably the cliff of the cave, and he yells down to Saul. He says, my lord, the king, 
And when Saul looked behind him, David had bowed down with his face to the ground and paid homage. Talk about the thing that David did not have to do because he is king. And what is David doing? He's actually showing kindness to Saul. He's actually showing mercy and honor to Saul. Uh, David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men saying that David seeks your harm? This day you have seen with your own eyes that the Lord delivered you today into my hand, into the cave. In other words, it's like David holding up to him saying, I could have killed you. Hey, I could have taken your life and I could have been king. So all these reports that are going around saying that I am seeking your life. Hey, this is evidence that this is not true. Now, as you jump down to verse 12, uh, David concludes and says, The Lord will judge between me and you, and the Lord will avenge me on you. But my hand will not be against you. As a proverb of the ancient says, From the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand will not be against you. And it's interesting if you look at what David is saying, David is basically making the statement, Saul, I know I'm king. I know I'm the rightful king but I'm not gonna set up my kingdom like you set up your kingdom. And if I take your life and my first deed as king is to kill you, then I'm actually becoming you. And David says, I'm not gonna be like you. That I'm actually gonna put my faith and my trust in my God to take care of you. Now, <clears throat> verse 16 says, when David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you, have a re for you have rewarded me with good, while I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown today that you have dwelt well with me when the Lord delivered me into your hand and did not kill me. Isn't it interesting that here is Saul and Saul's repenting? Here is Saul and he's just, he's so overwhelmed and he's beginning to weep. What, what caused that in Saul's life? Isn't it interesting that it was the kindness and the goodness of David? Uh, if, if you flip over uh, really quick to Romans chapter 2, and you don't have to turn there necessarily, but in Romans chapter 2, Paul is talking about God and God's goodness and God's kindness. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Do not despise the riches of his goodness, tolerance, and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Aren't you so thankful that God is not some mean, nasty God waiting to stomp on your head and crush you down every time you make a mistake? That God is actually kind and he is loving towards you, which is there to lead you unto repentance. And I love the fact that here is David showing overwhelming kindness to a man who is out to seek to kill him. That here is Saul trying to kill David. And yet what does David do in response? David shows him kindness. And what does that cause Saul to do? Well, repent, to begin to weep. Now, Saul relents and he leaves. And again, it's interesting that it doesn't take very long for Saul to counter on his repentance. So therefore it wasn't true repentance, right? So he literally goes against his word and begins to seek David again. But it's fascinating that all that was taking place right here. Uh, so with that, turn over to uh, Psalm 63. I want you to see afresh this passage. Uh, Psalm 63 is one of my favorites, and I think it has only increased uh, ever since I've, I've been here. Again, you, you need to see Psalm 63 in the light of the desert. 
this is a barren land. <laughs> there is no, I mean, there's no vegetation, there's no crops, there's no water. I mean, this is a dead place. And I think it is appropriate that the Dead Sea is at a dead place. But listen to what David writes. So he writes Psalm 63. Uh, my little header says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And a lot of scholars presume he was actually here in Engedi when he wrote this Psalm. In fact, it actually makes complete sense even when you read verse 1. Uh, anybody want to read for us? Which means I need you to come up here so you can have the microphone so you can read. Oh, oh thank you, Larry. So Psalm 63, but just read verse 1 right now. Okay. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and thirsty land with no water. Isn't that powerful? So here is David. He's been running from Saul, and he's in a barren land. And yet he uses this, this little oasis, as a picture of his desire for God. And he's looking at God saying, God, oh, I just, I thirst after you. I crave you. Well, David, how much do you crave, crave God? Well, just like you crave water in a dry and barren land, that's how much I crave my God. Now, you can hear the rushing of the waters from this first pool right behind us here. Isn't it interesting that in a barren place, this is the place of life. This is the place of survival. And here's my question for you. Do you desire God like this? Do you have a passion for God like this? Right? We, would, we, we, we began it yesterday, but this whole idea that, hey, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that word all, if you want to know what the actual translation of that word is, means all. Yeah. <laughs> right? Whether it's Hebrew or whether it's Greek, it means all. And there's this idea that, hey, that I, uh, I should seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Hebrews 11.6, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's not that you just seek him, you must diligently seek him. And God is a rewarder of that. He looks at those who diligently go after him, those who passionately pursue him and says, I reward that. So my question is then, do you have that? Do, do you have that kind of passion? Do you have that kind of seeking? As, as we were walking in the desert yesterday and we were just, and I, I was watching all of you, you realize it didn't take you very long. You know, you go about five or six steps and then we grab our little camel packs and we, you know, we suck in the water and then we go about 10 more feet and we, why? Well, it's hot. You know, it's a little over hundred degrees and, and we need water. Why? Cause we're not going to, we're not going to make it through the day. How much more if you didn't have a backpack of water on your, on your back and you, you've been wandering this thing for an entire day, that, that, that overwhelming just desire for thirst must be quenched. Do you realize that in our souls, the only thing that'll quench that is Jesus? And as we make our way up to the pool, can I, can I just freshly encourage you to look at this as what you're to have with Jesus? That in the midst of something that is so barren and so deserted, that he is to be your spring of life. He is to be your sustenance of the soul. That, that he is that which you pursue after. That you are to diligently seek after him. That you should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So I'm going to have Larry read Psalm 63 afresh just from the beginning and go to the end. But I, I want you to hear it from that lens. That here is a man writing, running from Saul, you know, just trying to save his own life. Trusting in God's protection as his stronghold. And here he is in a place of an oasis saying, God, I, I have a thirst for you. I have a passion for you. 
and I'm going to diligently seek you like a man who in the middle of a desert passionately seeks after water. So here's Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, in a dry and thirsty land with no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because, of your loving kind, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live, while I lift up my hands in your name. My soul will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul clings hard to you, your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my soul to destroy it will go into the lower parts of the earth. They will fall by the sword, and they will be a portion for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory, because the mouth of liars will be stopped. That's good. That's really good. Well, let's just pray. Uh, Lord, we do love you. Uh, thank you that we are in the very place where you gave protection, you gave safety to David, and you were reminding David that, that just as David could trust you for the timing and the provision of the kingdom, so too we can trust you for every aspect of our life. And Lord, just as David wrote Psalm 63 in this place, in the midst of a desert, in the midst of a barren land, in the midst of a place where there's very little of, of anything, Lord, there's this oasis of life. And Lord, I pray that we too would seek after you like a man who is craving water. That in a dry and weary land that we would thirst after you. That we would hunger and thirst after righteousness. And as the Beatitude says, as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we would be filled. Lord, may we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. Hey, Lord, may we diligently seek after you because the word declares that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek after you. Lord, we praise you for you are good. So Lord, I pray that you would make us thirsty, passionately thirsty in our spiritual life. And Lord, if I could just, oh, may, may the declaration of my soul be like that of Andrew Murray, who said, am I satisfied with Jesus? Yes, with every fiber of my being, I can boldly declare that I am satisfied in Jesus Christ. But let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. Lord, may that be our prayer with you. That is grand of a life as the richness that we've ever tasted is so good. Lord, this truly is only the beginning. So would you satisfy our hearts? Would you just, oh, would you somehow increase in our mindset? May we passionately, overwhelmingly thirst after you, the living God. May we love you with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. We love you, Jesus. Just thank you for this day. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. 
We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.